You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording from the third webinar organised as part of Framing Ageing, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. The webinar consisted of parts one and two of panel five, methodologies. The second speaker was Dr Gemma Carney from Queen's University Belfast, who presented on Old Age in the Age of Coronavirus, a qualitative media analysis. Okay, this is a piece of work that um, I did with some colleagues over the last few months. Um, So not to at all claim that I did all this myself, it would have been impossible. But basically, when we were working on it, it really occurred to me that this would be absolutely perfect thing to share with this um, network, because actually what we were looking at was how age is framed during the pandemic. And I apologize for bringing everybody back into the pandemic. I know there was a Julia's talk was a beautiful bit of escapism there. But basically what we did was we um, did a framing analysis of how age was presented by the media during the first wave in UK media in particular. Um, And this is part of kind of a move of understanding amongst us in social policy around the importance of the influential role that the media has in terms of particularly, say, talking about the welfare state and things, but also really um, in terms of public health messaging. And I know Susan, who's the discussant, has published a fantastic paper in the Journal of Social Policy, which you should all read about um, the media's role in intergenerational justice and things. And this paper, I think, really speaks to the work that she's done and to earlier work that's done by um, social work colleagues um, around the time, if any of you remember, there was a case of Baby P. And this is a thing that keeps coming up, particularly under the neoliberal regime, something that we discussed a lot at the last webinar and I wanted to bring back into the talk today because I thought it was a fruitful kind of um, line of us all working together as as critics. Um, And that is this idea that when you have this neoliberal government who are very happy to disassociate themselves from decisions, particularly the negative outcome of decisions that they've made in the past, such as they cutting back on childcare or, you know, allowing poverty to run out of control or say, let's say, allow a a pandemic to run out of control, that what they tend to do is, um, you know, the media will help them to find somebody who they can kind of blame. And often that will be some kind of public sector person. But I also, you know, I really don't want this, this, the research really wasn't about trying to blame the media because the media had, like everybody else at the moment, a really difficult job to do and a really influential role Um, But we need to also talk about our kind of role in this. And I think the work that Tom's doing is a really good example of what we could do in terms of, you know, really being critical and and being more assertive really in terms of informing public debate. And I think this is interesting because from what following on from what Julia said and, and Tom and his colleagues work around images, what we're doing with this project is kind of looking at the words. So because we're looking at the media stories. Before I go into the media analysis, I think it's important that I actually share with you some of the facts, because you'll see there's quite a lot of, um, in the media, just kind of mad generalizations and stereotypes. But yes, older people have been very badly affected. And everything I say today is just referring to the first wave. Um, That's when this analysis was done over the summer. But you can see here that, you know, in the UK, 
um, most of the people who were um, who died as a result of contracting COVID were over 75. I'm giving you the figures there for Northern Ireland, but it was um, similar all around the UK. The other thing is that um, we have this, you know, figure of excess deaths, if you understand that correctly. It's the idea of not just the people who died of COVID, but the people who died at the time we wouldn't have expected to die. And so they're excess deaths caused by the pandemic. So they could have died of something else because they weren't getting treatment or whatever. And that turns out to be very important when you look at older people. And you'll get, I'll come to that later. The other thing is that the, the, the Tory government, the Tories have been in charge in the UK, um, well, in England in particular, but then the Westminster government as a result, uh, for the last 10 years or so. And they have really worked very hard to remove the, a lot of the social protections. I suppose Brexit is the pinnacle of that. But what they've tried to do is really, really re reduce the influence of the state. But one thing that has um, maintained its prominence and that they used very effectively in the Brexit referendum was the NHS, because the NHS is very much um, associated with British culture and they kind of appropriated it as part of kind of English nationalism too. But what happened was that the, from the, when the pandemic hit, they really started to talk about, you know, we need to protect the NHS, stay home, save life, protect the NHS. Um, and what they actually did was when they realized that their NHS hospitals had many, many older people in them, that wasn't really the appropriate place for them because there is no uh, agreement on how to fund social care. So many older people end up kind of stuck in hospital. What they did was decided to move a lot of older people out of those hospital beds in order to free up the beds for the expected surge of COVID patients. But what they didn't have was a decent testing regime. They didn't have um, all of these little kind of archipelago of um, care homes were really hard to kind of keep the infection out and a lot of staff were agency staff and many many you can see them from the deaths that I'm showing here um, this analysis was done by the Health Foundation that lots and lots of older people died as a result and I'll come back to that again at the end of the talk um, but an interesting point to note as well is that of the 30,500 deaths in care homes the Health Foundation think only 10,000 were caused by COVID and we'll get back to that um, later in the talk as well. The other point I want to make is that what comes across all the time during the pandemic is that, you know, only older people die of COVID or somehow that's okay because they're older. We expect older people to die. But I wanted to put up some of these statistics from Public Health England, which are from 2016. And they really show how actually, even when you're older, you still kind of have a decent life expectancy. So if you're 75, you'd have another 12 or 13 years to live. If you're 85, you'd have another seven years. So the people still are dying prematurely. Um, and this person here is Chris Whitty. You might recognize him. He's a kind of our Anthony Fauci. And he even came out early in the pandemic and put a story out in the media that if you get coronavirus when you're over 80, you're not a goner. That was the headline. But there is some, you know, obviously truth in the fact that older people are more likely to die of coronavirus than other groups. So I thought it was worth having a little um, look at that. The first thing to note, you know, is that older populations are different populations. So we're living longer, but we do have chronic diseases and our immune system does, does change. And obviously Des can give you the full talk on this. But that's important, you know, to take into account in terms of the social context as well, because things like gender really take, take, have an important role in that. So a lot of those very older people are actually disproportionately female. So it's a lot of very old women who've been affected by this. In countries like China, it's mostly, most of the smokers are men, and they found that actually in the first wave, it was a lot of men who, who, who succumbed to COVID. 
The other thing, kind of, this is the real kind of social policy stuff coming out now, but you know, where you live greatly affects. So if you live in a care home, that could be much more important than your age, or it could be one of the factors. But the overall, you know, kind of comment I want to make, and I wanted to take forward before we get into the media analysis, is, is to say that healthy older people, you're still more likely to survive than die if you contract COVID. And we use this example, which was a photograph from the observer of Maria Branias, and in the first research update that we produced with this project, um, because she was 113, she survived coronavirus, she's a Spanish lady who'd lived through the Spanish flu and two world wars, and the media used her as an example. But actually, you know, a lot of the media reports were about how older people will die of coronavirus. But we did three particular searches, and I'm going to share with you a very small amount of two of them. The first one was, you know, how was age used in public messaging in the earliest days of the pandemic? So the first two weeks of March, when we all, our world kind of fell apart and we all started to realise what we were living through. And the second one, I think, is fascinating because this is the letters from older people to the editors of newspapers that they wrote during the lockdown. And there's some really great um, examples of older people kind of making the point that the chronological age and self-isolation policy was uh, not something that they were really um, thought was very fair. It's important to note as well that, you know, we did, there's a lot in the paper about this, about why we chose certain papers, but you can see here, it's important to look that we're inclined to think as being kind of, um, liberal lefties, many of us academics, that everybody reads The Guardian, but you can see here that's a much smaller than something like the Daily Mail. So in terms of the stories and the reach that um, newspapers would have, you know, this Daily Mail kind of thinking is going to be much more um, the norm. So the two problems, we, we found about six problems when we did the search, but the problems that I'm going to highlight, because I think they're interesting, particularly in the context of the discussion we had about neoliberalism last week, or not last week, last webinar before Christmas last year, was that older people, the first part, you know, I'm calling these problems because the framing analysis that we use, use is developed by Foley and colleagues. So these are public health specialists. And they say that, you know, they use the example of obesity and diabetes. And they say what happens is something is portrayed as a problem. So it's defined as a problem. So they say the problem with people having diabetes is that they're overweight. And then there's some kind of causal attribution made, you know, it's there because they're overweight, they have diabetes. So it often ignores the nuance of things like genetics or other factors. Then there's a moral evaluation. These fat people are giving themselves diabetes, you know, this kind of thing. And then the outcome is that people are kind of blamed for having diabetes. So we see something similar happening around old age, that older people are seen as more likely to die of coronavirus than any other section of the population, particularly if they have an underlying condition. And what we really find when we start to kind of dig into that is that there's an element of the rest of us trying to distance ourselves from this scary disease. So there's an element of saying, well, older people belong to this category so, and, and people with underlying conditions, so maybe disabled people as well. They're in this category that doesn't, the rest of us are okay. So it kind of helps us to feel safe. The other problem I'm going to focus on is this one around heartless bureaucrats. So the Guardian in particular was absolutely fascinating in how every single story was about how bad the government was. Fair enough, it's not a great government, but it was relentless. And then they also kept bringing in experts. So this goes back to a few years ago when Brexit started and when Trump was popular, that this idea of experts being annihilated. So experts have come back into fashion in the pandemic. Thank God for all of us here. And, but what they, um, 
really said is that there's these kind of compassionate experts. They'll tell us how to behave and they'll help us get out of it. But the tabloid media in particular had much more this sense of, but there's also heartless bureaucrats. And I'm going to take you through an example of that. So let's just look and dig down a little bit into this one about older people who are more likely to die of coronavirus. So this was in all of the newspapers. And this was really clearly that there's this moral tone to it too, that if you're older, you're more likely to die. So you should be self-isolating and staying at home. And younger people are selfish if they party, they're putting older people at risk. The next one about the heartless bureaucrats, I think we are a particularly good panel to kind of look at this one. And this was an example of uh, Professor June Andrews. So this was all of the papers annihilated this woman early in March. And what she did was, I'm showing you now, rather than my analysis, I'm showing you some of the headlines so you can see what was said. But she was um, an NHS um, employee who was kind of involved in you know, innovation and change, one of these kind of people. And she was presenting, um, making a case for what to do to the public accounts committee in the Scottish government. And when she made her presentation, she made this comment that, um, you know, as I said at the start, a lot of the big problem in the UK system is that they haven't invested in social care. The system is still this kind of critical care system and they haven't adjusted to the ageing population. And certainly many older people don't have appropriate care. Um, and what happens is then, of course, they end up getting stuck in, in, in critical care hospitals. So what she said was that the pandemic could be useful for clearing the bed blockers. And this was read as her having saying that it was good that the older people would die because it would clear the, the hospitals. And there's one um, headline here at the end from the Telegraph that kind of starts to maybe show some nuance that um, the doctor said that she could kill off the bed blockers. This is June Andrews, but remarks show the crisis facing the NHS. So she does try and explain that, but that is completely and utterly um, thrown aside. And it really, really reminded me with work I'd found before done by the social workers, as I said, where Sharon Shoesmith was the head of children's services in Haringey Council when they um, had a child die in their care. And rather than the media agreeing that, yeah, there's been rising inequality and massive child poverty, and this is a problem of neglect, and yet, they actually said, well, the, these people, these social workers have left, are basically responsible for this child's death. So it was just, it's very easy when you have a system where you don't want to you know, invest in the state to blame the people that are doing the job that they haven't been funded properly to do. I'm now going to go into the letters and I am going to show you some of these. So this is one, there was a good, a good spread across the papers actually. And the ones that I'm going to pick out just happen to be from The Guardian, but actually they were right across the papers, as you can see. But the general thrust, so these, you have to bear in mind that there was a very strong element of self-selection with this. So these are people who were articulate and confident enough to write to the editor of a newspaper, who were obviously well enough, but they were all older. And we know they were older because they said it. I'm over 70 and. So they said that they were missing their freedom. The government should trust older people to make their own decisions, that this life is hardly worth living. And... What's really interesting is that um, there was a whole kind of um, sense of intergenerational discord emerging and this kind of sense of, you know, um, people virtue what's the phrase, uh, showing how great and well behaved they could be and also arguing that age is just one variable. So this person was Sally Phillips and she was responding to a letter written by Sally Vickers. And she talks, it's worth having a look at this, the idiocy of this random cutoff point. She's talking about this cutoff point of if you're over 70, you need to stay at home. 
It's even more evident, the idiocy of it, if expressed as year of birth rather than age. Let's compare a non-smoker and moderate drinker born 1947, she's obviously talking about herself, with an officially approved body mass index, a career record of useful contribution to society who's doing pro bono work currently frozen, to an overweight individual born June 1964 who's never done a day's useful work in his life and has been demonstrably reckless with his own health and that of others. Now let's decide which is the better bet for early release. Of course, she's talking about Boris Johnson there, who ended up getting coronavirus after shaking hands with coronavirus patients in the hospital early in the pandemic. So the point she's making, though, is more nuanced than that, because what she's saying is that it isn't just age. Age is not the only variable that matters. You know, Boris was a good example of being not as old, but having not good underlying health. Gemma, can we... Yeah, I'm coming to the very end now. So this is the last, second last slide, but the last um, example I want to use, which was a retired social worker called Brian Parrott. And I won't go into it in detail for time reasons, but he made this point that he had spent years trying to get the funding to move people into care homes. And when COVID happened, the government did it. Suddenly the money was available, but they did it without having a proper testing system in place and many, many older people died. So this analysis, this is my last slide. What does this framing analysis show us? I think it shows us how we can place older people in this category of other, and this allows the rest of us to feel safe. It also, I think, raises a lot of questions about the human rights of older people and the fact that we don't have this kind of legal instrument protecting the rights of older people in the same way as we have for other groups. And the questions for us for discussion today really are, are we failing our older people and thus are we failing our future older selves? Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Aging. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie.